prevention. That is the basis for health and diet is the foundation. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Jeff Chilton. Today, we're going to discuss how mushrooms are a healthy premier longevity food, learn about quality control with production, and what to look for within supplements. This is a long interview, but it's packed with lots of fun facts, and it's very interesting. So stay with me here. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Jeff Chilton. Jeff studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington in the late 60s, and in 1973, began a 10-year career as a large-scale commercial mushroom grower. Jeff is the co-author of The Mushroom Cultivator, published in 1983. In 1989, Jeff established Namex, the first company to supply medicinal mushroom extracts to the nutritional supplement industry. In 1997, he organized the first organic certification workshop for mushroom production in China. Jeff became a founding member of the World Society for Mushroom Biology and Mushroom Products in 1994 and is a member of the International Society for Mushroom Science. Namex extracts are used by many supplement and food companies and are noted for their high quality based on scientific analysis of the active compounds. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Dr. Gray, thank you so much for having me. Well, tell us your story. How would you become a mushroom grower? I was raised in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. Yeah. What, what, what is Seattle known for? Rain. Yep. <laughs> Perfect yep. climate for growing mushrooms. And so they were around me as I was growing up. And then when I went to university, I, I studied anthropology because I really loved the whole idea of other cultures and how they organize and what they do. But they have a mycology department at that university as well. So I studied mycology. And in yeah. my anthropological studies, I basically looked at the use of mushrooms historically worldwide for food, for medicine, and in shamanic uh, rituals. So that was my field of study. And so I just put the two together, and that's ethnomycology. Now, getting out of university, of course, there's no jobs for anthropologists. (laughs) So I thought, (laughs) wouldn't it be great to learn how to grow mushrooms? And I thought, wow, that would be so cool. We had one mushroom farm in Washington State. I went there, I applied for a job. I was there for the next 10 years. And and let me tell you, I was literally living with mushrooms. <laughs> so they became part of you and you part of them. <laughs> that's your Oh yeah, you, you know, your... <laughs> and, and what's interesting about about mushroom cultivation and again this was a very big farm, 2 million pounds of agaricus mushrooms. Per year, we had a Japanese scientist that was also growing shiitake, mm-hmm. oyster mushroom, and enoki mushroom. So I learned about growing those as well. But mushrooms do not sleep. And, and when you have a farm that size, you have like, for example, there's eight new crops being put in every week, eight wow. old crops being dumped on a production cycle. All mushrooms are harvested by hand. Every mushroom you've ever eaten has been picked by somebody by hand. So essentially, they're harvesters working at the farm every single day, Christmas, New Year's. It doesn't stop. Again, like I say, mushrooms don't sleep. (laughs) And especially not when you have all of those crops. And and essentially, if you were to leave it for a day and not harvest, then a lot of those mushrooms, because they continue to grow, would become seconds. Because again, we harvest them, the agaricus mushroom as a button, which is an immature mushroom that gives it a really good shelf life. But if you let them grow, they will open up. And now in the market, that's a number two instead of a number one. So there's a great loss there if you can't harvest, like if if the power goes out or something. Oh, yeah. But believe it or not, because these are climate controlled rooms, we would go into these rooms with minor's lights 
helmets, a miner's light. And that's how people worked in these rooms. Wow. Now, now, these days in mushroom growing houses, they, they actually will put lights in there, but the agaricus mushroom does not need light to grow. Most mushrooms do need light to grow. People think, oh, no, you know, the joke of, oh, yeah, you, I must be a mushroom because they're keeping me in the dark and they're feeding me uh, a bull, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, no, most mushrooms need light to grow. The agaricus does not. In fact, that's why traditionally back in Europe, it was grown in like the caves around Paris. Fun facts. You just keep laying them on us. I want to talk about different species of mushrooms because I don't know much about the agaricus and I want to talk about growing practices as well. But let's take it back a notch and just define kind of what is a mushroom? What What is a mushroom and what are the plant parts of that? We'll start with the mushrooms 101. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's very important because look, it's kind of interesting. Mushrooms don't have seeds. How do we grow mushrooms? They don't have seeds. Yeah. What are we supposed to do? Well, mushrooms produce spores. Those spores in nature, they go out on the wind currents. They land on the earth. They land on wood. They will germinate into a very fine filament. That filament's called a hypha. And when multiple of those hypha come together and fuse, it forms a network. And that network we call mycelium. Hmm. Mycelium is the vegetative body, and that's something that you would never see because it's underground, it's buried in the wood. So normally we will not see it. In fact, I, I like to say sometimes, okay, um, somebody's walking along a path that they walk every day to wherever, and, and one day they go, oh, my God, look at that mushroom there. Where'd it come from? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like magic, right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, yet... That mushroom underground is that vegetative body, the mycelium, and that mushroom has actually been there for probably two weeks, but it didn't reach a size big enough for you to notice until it got to that one particular site. So this mycelium now, it's consuming all of the organic matter that's on the ground every year, annual plants wood, leaves, you, you name it. It's part of that process of decomposing all of that back into humus. When conditions are right, like in the Northwest, the fall, and the rains come, temperature goes down, that's a trigger for the mushroom to grow. A mushroom needs high humidity. That's sure. where the rains and getting the, the ground nice and moist. Now, the mushroom comes up. It goes through about a two-week cycle. Up it comes. Uh, the cap expands. Underneath the cap are gills. Those gills produce the spores. And now we have a completion of the life cycle. So what we would say here is we would say there are three what we would call plant parts, which is what they use in the supplement industry. Uh, and that's spore, mycelium, and mushroom. Now, now traditionally, it's always been the mushroom that has been used for its uh, functional purposes in traditional sure. Chinese medicine and so on. Nobody's going to be out there digging up mycelium and trying to, you know, pull it out and, and do that. So those are the plant parts and growing mushrooms, which is what we do is not easy. It's uh, expensive. You cannot produce mushrooms in the United States and sell them as supplements. Mm. And the reason is that a fresh mushroom you can take to market and, and you can get, let's say, $5 a pound for your fresh mushrooms. Mushrooms, like most vegetables, are 90% water. Supplements are dried powders. You dry out that pound of mushrooms that you're getting $5 for. Now the value is up to $50 for that dried pound of mushrooms. It doesn't work for supplement use. And so all of the actual mushrooms that are genuine, that are in supplements, will have to come from somewhere else because it's just too expensive in the United States to do that. And that's why in 1989, I made my first trip to China, which, of course, is where all of the information is about the use of mushrooms for sure. thousands of years as supplements and actually as food. So I went to China and I established contacts with growers, with processors, with research institutes. I went to conferences. And that was when in 1997, 
being a company that believes in certified organic foods Mm -hmm. and being certified uh, since 1992, I went to China China, and I said, look, I'm going to be growing mushrooms here, purchasing the mushrooms here. You're going to have to be certified organic. So I brought one of the largest organic certifiers in the U.S. to China with me. We organized the very first workshop for certified organic mushrooms in China, 1997. By 2000, all of our mushrooms coming out of China and our extracts were certified organic. And, and look, you know, people go, oh, yeah, who's, who's certifying them? High quality German certifiers are certifying mm. them. And, and, yeah. and, you know, Dr. Gray, one of the most important things for me with the products we sell is analyzing them. That's one of the things that our company does. We, we spend so much money on analysis. And analysis starts with pesticides, which we have mm-hmm. to have no pesticides for organic certification, heavy metals, the complete microbiological panel, all of that happens before anything leaves China. And then once it comes over to the United States where we have our warehouse, we sample it and test again in totally different laboratories than the ones that they've been using in China. So we test every product two times to meet the standards. And, you know, a lot of people think supplements, ah, there's no regulation on supplements. Well, there's a lot of regulation on supplements. That doesn't mean the supplement you buy is going to be good. It could be a terrible product. It could have no benefits whatsoever, but it could still have low heavy metals, no pesticides, all the rest. That's something, again, we feel very strongly about is analysis. And the other side of it is we analyze for all of the medicinal compounds in mushrooms, which is, for me, the most important things, because up until 2015, we had literally no standards for mushroom products. No company was out there giving any kind of analytical results. We did, I had a white paper that I produced a study in in 2015, where we bought 40 products off the internet, and we tested our extracts. We also tested just dried mushrooms. And what that study showed was that the majority of the products that are being sold are not even mushroom. What are they? <laughs> well, well, here's what's interesting. <laughs> I, I was telling you that you can't grow mushrooms in the United States and sell them into the supplement market. Mm-hmm. What companies have done is they will grow out the mycelium mm. on sterilized grain at the end of the process, which is maybe 50 days. They will dry it, grind it to a powder, grain and all, and call it a mushroom. And so when we analyzed those products, they ended up being mostly grain starch. Interesting. Yes, uh, very interesting. And, and you know, th- this gets into, again, the, the testing methods that we've got and also to the most important compound in medicinal or what we also would call functional mushrooms, and that is the beta-glucan. Yes, let's let's go there. You you prompted about twelve other questions I want to ask you, but I know <laughs> but uh, me... I moved, I jumped around, jumped over a lot of questions there. I'm going to take us back one more time though, because and maybe you did answer kind of part of this. I was going to ask if the mycelium actually had medicinal value, like, or is it primarily the fruiting body, like the mushroom itself, that carries most of the? Well, well, look, see here. Here's what's interesting: is that beta glucans are in the cell walls of mycelium and of mushroom. The difference is once that mushroom starts to form and matures, it's like a biofactory and it is producing compounds that the mycelium is not. The mycelium is actually a very simple structure. Its, Its job is to secrete enzymes, breaking down the organic matter, building up its uh, the food where it can continue to grow and also support the mushroom. And the mycelium has never been utilized as a supplement because you have to dig it up. Now in China, they actually produce a lot of mycelium and put it into the supplement market. But they do that in what's called liquid fermentation, 
where they grow it in a liquid. And then at the end of the process, they remove the liquid and they have pure mycelium. That is a process that takes a lot of infrastructure to actually grow mycelium on sterilized grain is simple. It's easy, does not take a lot of investment. And so that's what they do in the United States rather than growing pure mycelium. So what you get is you get a small amount of mycelium and sure. mostly grain starch. And that was what was interesting about the beta-glucan tests, because the beta-glucan test that we use will test for beta-glucan and what's called alpha-glucan. Alpha-glucan hmm. are the starches. Mushrooms do not contain starch. And what's interesting, you probably heard people talk about how, oh yeah, humans and mushrooms are somewhat similar in some ways. Getting back to classifications, we have the, the kingdom of uh, animals, kingdom of plants, and the kingdom of fungi sitting right in the middle. Fungi produce glycogen as a storage carbohydrate like humans. Fungi also breathe in oxygen, give out carbon dioxide. Completely opposite of plants. Plants produce starch. Hmm. What we found when we did our analyses is that mushrooms contain between 25 and 60% beta-glucan. And it's interesting because that species differential, sure. some species higher, some lower, and they have less than 5% alpha-glucan, which if we pick up any on the mushroom, it would be probably some glycogen. The complete opposite was happening with these mycelium on grain products. Instead, it was 5% beta-glucan and 30 to 60% alpha, which essentially validates the fact that those products are mostly grain starch. And yep. when I put this report out, it absolutely changed the industry. And look, the worst part about it was that the companies selling these products were mislabeling the product. The product, when you went to buy it on the front label, it said reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, a picture of a mushroom. You think you're buying a mushroom supplement. Mm -hmm. Some of those companies, when you turned it over, it would say, oh, mycelium. And then in the fine print, it would say myceliated rice, myceliated oats. But these same companies would be selling the materials that they are producing to other companies and selling them to other companies as mushroom. And those companies did not even know. They thought they were getting mushroom. And so they put out these and they don't say mycelium or, or list the grains. So you have a lot of companies out there that aren't even doing that, which would be at least a minimum. Now, are you familiar with a food called tempeh? Mm -hmm. Do you know how it's made? Soy? I don't know. <laughs> well, most people know it's soy, but beyond that, it's actually cooked soybeans with fungal mycelium grown on it. So when you're eating tempeh, you're eating mycelium. That's what these companies are producing, but drying it to a powder and then calling it mushroom mm. when it's not mushroom at all. There's no mushrooms in it. It is myceliated grain. I was going to ask, what can we look for on a label? But it sounds like there's just so much mislabeling anyways in the industry that... Well, well, you know what I, I would look for is, is, A, if it says grown in the U.S. It's not a mushroom. <laughs> it's not a mushroom. No, absolutely not. Because, because literally you cannot grow. And if you look at all the statistics that the government collects on mushroom growers... All of the mushrooms being grown go into the fresh market. And any mushrooms that go into the supplement markets are simply made by, let's just say, you know, you know, herbalists, practicing herbalists will create their own line of, um, you know, tinctures and things like that. Well, they can often buy from a local mushroom grower, but the number of that and the amount of mushrooms going into that is tiny compared to, you know, the, the industry itself. So, so no, there are no mushrooms on any scale going into the supplement market that are these mushrooms that are grown in the U.S. They're simply not happening. I didn't know that. Congratulations on taking organic mushroom growing to 
China. Well, <laughs> Big accomplishment well, there. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you know what? It's one of those things where, look, it's almost like climate change or global warming or anything like that, too. It's not just a matter of, oh, yeah, we've got to do it here and we don't care what's happening over there. You know, it's kind of like right now there's a lot of blame going on against China. Oh, yeah, they're burning all this coal. You know who's selling them the coal? <laughs> the United States. Canada, Australia, <laughs> selling them the coal and then going, oh, look at them. They're, they're burning all that coal. Who sold it to them? Hey, wait a Hello. minute here. Yeah. The hypocrisy is a little bit deep. You know, our mushrooms are grown deep in the mountains of China, far away from the industrial areas. I hate cutting well, you off because you have so many good no, points. But that's okay. <laughs> I want to totally get to that. But I want to come back to beta glucans because yep. I don't I want to make sure we don't jump over that because that's one of the most important pieces. And I'll yes. give you back the mic here as far as what are the the nutritional benefits of mushrooms, like why beta glucans are important. And and also if you can get into the difference between the nutritional benefits in gourmet mushrooms, what I or what I purchased from a farmer's market, what I may forage for in the woods, right? Or the mushroom the nutritional benefit found in the medicinal, like in the supplements and medicinal mushrooms. Sure. Well, first of all, let me just say mushrooms are very nutritious. And what is interesting about about it is when I started at the mushroom farm in 1973, classical nutritionists stated mushrooms had no nutritional value. Why did they say that? Low in calories, low in calories. Oh yeah, it tastes good, but no nutritional value. Totally wrong. They just didn't have enough analysis at the time to really know for sure. Mushrooms have uh, 20 to 40% protein. It's high quality protein, maybe one essential amino acid that's missing there, high in carbohydrate, which is primarily what they're made of, but these are very beneficial carbohydrates. Are you familiar with mannitol? A little bit, yeah. Well, mannitol is a, is a very slow acting carbohydrate. It's one of those carbohydrates that is recommended for people that have uh, diabetes and things like that because it's slow acting. It has uh, less than half the amount of sugar that sucrose has got. So it's actually not very digestible. So what it's doing is it's feeding the microbiome and, and so is the beta-glucan. The beta-glucan is part of the cell wall. It's part of the fiber. So it's also feeding the microbiome. Mushrooms are very high in fiber, low in fat, which, which accounts for in many ways, the fact that there's a low amount of calories, very good levels of potassium and phosphorus and reasonable levels of B1, B2, and B3. So it's a very nutritious food. I like to call it the forgotten food and the missing dietary link. When you go out to Asia and you go into the food markets of Asia, um, you've got 12 to 15 different mushroom species there to choose from. In 1973, we had pretty much one mushroom in our markets. We actually, because we were growing shiitake on the farm there, we introduced fresh shiitake into the local market in 1978. I was eating fresh shiitake in the 70s. Are you, do you eat shiitake at all? Yeah, 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 yeah. I They're love delicious. Me too, yeah. Shiitake. It is really, it's my favorite edible mushroom. I mean, it is really excellent. And, and that's the one mushroom I like to recommend to people. And going to the second part of your question, certain mushrooms with these beta-glucans have a little bit different architecture of the beta-glucan. That architecture means whether one is highly active or not so active. So essentially, scientists have done a lot of studies on many of these mushroom species and have determined that there are, let's just say, a dozen species that are highly medicinal and where the beta-glucans are very active and there are other species where they're not. And I've got a book that lists 270 different mushroom species that have medicinal benefits. However, based on, in some cases, just one study, whereas these top mushrooms, whether it be shiitake or maitake or lion's mane or cordyceps, they have a body of scientific data that is very, very deep. We're lucky 
because in the marketplaces, you can get shiitake, you can get maitake, and they will give you nutritional benefits and these uh, functional benefits. Sure. Uh, same with lion's mane. Familiar with lion's mane mm-hmm. at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, lion's mane is really interesting. Yeah, talk about it. Let's differentiate. You kind of talked about shiitake a little bit, but let's go into lion's mane and turkey tail and cordyceps and ratio and all those. Let's sure, have you sure. break those down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, lion's mane is interesting because it's got compounds in it that they've identified that will stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. We produce nerve growth factor. It uh, organizes and at times stimulates the production of neurons. As we get older, we produce less of it. And there's a lot of information that would suggest that that's one of the reasons why all of a sudden our memory starts to go downhill a little bit. I heard that it can help with cognitive decline, even help regenerate myelin. So great for Alzheimer's depression. What's interesting about lion's mane is they've actually got some clinical trials where they've they've gotten two groups of people and they've got a control group and a a regular in japan they had this 30 people on in each group they gave them a whole battery of tests and the one group got uh three grams only three grams of dried lion's mane Uh, they took it daily the other group with the placebo group Uh, after 120 days they tested them again the people that were eating the lion's mane actually tested higher after they stopped taking lion's mane they tested them again a month later, and they dropped back down to baseline. Interesting. So, now, now that's one study. They've also done a, a, a clinical trial giving people about the same amount and testing uh, whatever they test for dementia. So there, there is some initial evidence on that. And, you know, look, one of the, one of the issues in the supplement or herbal arena is that clinical trials are expensive. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find too many of them. And, and you, you also have to be very careful because, look, I can look at some of these trials and say, well, who sponsored it? Oh, it's sponsored by the tobacco companies. Oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to be able to read scientific papers and be able to really know. For example, there's a lot of um, in vitro studies, which can give you all sorts of results does that actually translate, uh, now into translate humans. Yeah. to humans? <laughs> then there's there's uh, animal studies. And you go, okay, that's that's closer. But then sometimes you look at it and it's like, oh, yeah, they're, they're giving like 50 milligrams or 100 milligrams per kilogram or something like that to this animal. We'd have to eat 20 dried grams a day to match that same amount. So there, there's a lot of things that you have to look for in scientific studies. But, but lion's mane, I think it's really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of people out right uh, doing it right now that are sort of test cases, so to speak. But one of the things, I, let me let me just say this right away before we go too much further here, and that is people think that when you take something like, you know, they're so used to taking an aspirin or an IBU and they get immediate results. They like to think that if they're taking something, tomorrow they'll be waking up and it'll be a eureka moment. You know, it would be kind of like you and I taking uh, our, uh, let's just say, vitamin D tablet today or something. Then tomorrow we go, man, that vitamin D, God, I feel so much better. <laughs> That's that not yeah. <laughs> really how it works. And, and one of the things I truly believe in is I believe in prevention. That is the basis for health. It's prevention and diet is the foundation of health. So we have to keep that in mind. And so when I look at these functional mushrooms, I look at them as another layer of protection. You have to eat your mushrooms regularly. You have to supplement with it regularly. Don't expect anything overnight. But over time, if you are doing the other things right, as you know, this, there's a lot of factors that go into health, like eating right, like exercising and all of that. I, I mean, you're, you're a integrative practitioner, so you know what that means. You know that it's just not a matter of going to a physician and getting a prescription and, oh, it's all good now. <laughs> That's yep. not really how it works. Between the fumes from car exhaust, industrial emissions, and, as many of us have experienced recently, smoke from forest fires, the air we breathe is often filled with harmful pollutants. But did you know that the EPA has shown that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air? This is why at my clinic and at my home I use Air Doctor air filters. 
These filters are 100 times more effective than ordinary purifiers and help capture smoke, viruses, bacteria, pollen, mold, and dust mites. In fact, they capture 100% of some of the most dangerous ultrafine particles as small as 0.003 microns in size, and that's pretty small. They have a proprietary dual-action carbon gas trap VOC filter, which combines two types of media, activated carbon to remove gas and odors and potassium permanganate to deactivate certain volatile organic compounds, VOCs, like formaldehyde. Air Doctor's auto mode uses a professional-grade air quality sensor to assess the air in the room and immediately adjust to correct levels of air filtration. The sensor will also alert you when your air quality is compromised by changing its indicator lights from green to yellow or red. I discovered this feature almost immediately after installing my Air Doctor at home when the indicator light went from green to red. It got me wondering why the air was so bad and I did some digging. It turned out there was a problem with my furnace. After it was fixed, the Air Doctor sensor immediately turned back to green. Had I not discovered the issue with the help of the Air Doctor, we could have ended up with much greater problems. I often recommend the Air Doctor to my patients dealing with mold toxicity. Of course, I always recommend they remove themselves from the mold exposure as soon as possible, but I understand it takes time to remediate the home. So in the meantime, as well as on an ongoing basis, I recommend they get Air Doctors running in their homes. One of these machines would be a great Christmas gift for a loved one. Stop by the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic if you'd like to see different sizes or visit the bonus tab of my website, yourlongevityblueprint.com to find a special link for $280 off the 83,000 using code GRAY15. That's capital G-R-A-Y 15. And watch for even greater promotions during Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but you must use my link, which we'll post in the show notes. I tell patients all the time there's no pill, potion, or powder that's going to replace lifestyle changes. So lifestyle changes are the foundation. But these sort of supplements are an adjunct, right, an additional kind of like you said, layer of protection, prevention, whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's just like it's just like people that go into the grocery store and they, they purchase stuff out of the middle aisles and it's all processed foods. And you're just like, it's like, whoa. And, and our food system in the United States or Canada does not help with health. You know, we think, oh, what a wonderful system we've got. Look at all the abundance. When in fact, the large majority of that is, in a way, not food. Anti health, yeah. <laughs> right. you know, right. and yes, not health, not food. Yeah. Yep. So we got lion's mane. Now, now, all of these species that, you know, the major species will have the beta glucans and will give you that immunological potentiation. Okay. And that comes from the beta glucans. So the, the primary species that I would say that we could uh, uh, delineate that way would be reishi. Okay. And the interesting, have you ever seen a reishi mushroom? I don't know. Probably it's, not. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting because it's got a cap uh, that's shaped like a ram's horn. And it's, and it's very woody. It's what's called a polypore. And polypores are mushrooms that grow off the side of trees. They're also called bracket fungi. It just looks like a, a shelf, also called shelf fungi, because they just grow out. So a reishi, when you dry it out, it is hard as wood. It's also very bitter. It, the bitterness comes from compounds called triterpenoids. And triterpenoids are very good for liver function. So anybody with liver issues, uh, uh, blood issues, reishi is the one. That's what differentiates reishi from all the others. If there's any one species, someone was saying, well, what one species could I take that would help me out? I would, I would say automatically say reishi. Not only is it one of the highest in beta-glucans, yep. but it also has these other compounds called triterpenoids. Now, the other uh, mushroom that's very similar, that's also a polypore, is called turkey tail. And it's a fun little mushroom that just, it, again, it's a bracket fungus. And sometimes you find it on a tree and there are hundreds of them. It's really an interesting mushroom. They've actually developed turkey tail into a couple of drugs in China and Japan. And these drugs, and when I say drug, now look, they're not drugs in the classical sense that it's a purified compound, but it is an extraction that does do certain purification steps. But for example, the one uh, turkey tail product in Japan that's ca it's called PSK and it's considered a protein bound polysaccharide or protein bound beta glucan. Now, what they use those for as adjuvants to 
normal therapies, whether it's radiation or, or chemotherapy or something like that. So their role is to essentially help you maintain your immunity at the same time that it is being torn to shreds by these drugs. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's what I've heard turkey tail used for. Yeah. Yes, Adjunct yes. for cancer treatment. Yeah. That's right. So we've got uh, reishi, we've got turkey tail. Yeah. The other two mushrooms that I'd say are primarily utilized for uh, immunological potentiation would be shiitake and uh, maitake. Shiitake in the late seventies, they actually extracted a pure beta glucan and use it as a drug in Japan. And that is called lentinin. And it again is used in the same way as PSK. You know, it's kind of interesting that they're producing these drug products. And look, all research, for example, when researchers are looking at mushrooms, what are they really doing? They're all looking at drug discovery, right? So what they do is they take that raw material, they extract it, they fractionate it into 10 different parts, and then they test every part against whatever their testing assays are looking for. And if they see something that's highly active, they go, oh, okay, that fraction I want to pull out. Let's see where we can go with this. Mm -hmm. All of that research is actually drug development, but it does tell us something ultimately about the activity of yeah. specific mushrooms. And so that's how we can u- utilize it in the supplement industry. What about cordyceps? What are the Oh, isn't that, of- isn't that a funny... Have you ever seen the wild-crafted cordyceps? I don't think so, no. Cordyceps in China is called caterpillar fungus. And that's because the traditional wild-crafted cordyceps, which grows in the steppes of Tibet, a caterpillar hibernates over winter and it digs down into the ground a little ways and then it hibernates. But while it's sleeping, spores of cordyceps are there. They germinate. They consume the whole inside of the caterpillar. And then in the summer, up comes this little strange mushroom growing right off the caterpillar, which of course never wakes up. And that is the cordyceps that traditionally has been used in China. So it's the little mushroom growing off of it and the caterpillar itself. Now, is that why it's called the zombie? Is that called the zombie fungus or something? Well, that no, no, that's not. But I know what you're talking about. But at any rate, that particular what we would call a Chinese herb they've used for thousands of years, primarily for uh, neurasthenia, which is weakness from a disease and illness, and you just can't quite climb out of it. You're fatigued, you're energyless. That's where they have used cordyceps. Now, cordyceps, this little caterpillar fungus, they sell it in China now for $15,000 for a dried kilogram. That's two pounds. Wow. <laughs> now, look, there are no caterpillar fungi in the United States in a supplement product. No, we do produce a different species, which has been used interchangeably called Cordyceps militaris. And we can grow that now. So we can grow it. And it's something that, again, works in the same way as the wildcrafted Cordyceps. And look, wildcrafting, I don't really like because it's not standardized. You know, it's like people wildcrafting, you can pick mushrooms from all over the place and they're never really the same, so to speak. Sure, um, sure. So cultivation for me is the best way to go. Uh, and, and besides, you know, wildcrafting. Wildcrafting anything, people think, oh, great, this is just easy money. I'll go out there and collect all this stuff. And before, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, it's like, where'd all those uh, wild mushrooms go to? Yeah, well, they got picked out and they're gone now. And, and this happened with the truffle in Europe. It went from like two... 100,000 uh, tons to down to, I think today it's uh, wild truffles are down to maybe 20 tons or something like that. But just the, the amount was uh, staggering. So cordyceps, again, uh, what they use it now in the supplement space is for energy. 
Is it more to support the adrenals? What kind of when you're saying someone who's kind of worn down and needs revived, does cordyceps have adrenal rejuvenating? Uh, Yeah, I haven't seen that specifically, but you know, adrenals does come up in the literature for sure. So that certainly might be something that you would, you could try because I see, you know, that's something that you, you work on regularly. And just stress management. I I have to ask, we talk a lot about reducing stress and I know there are adaptogenic properties of mushrooms as well. So can you speak to which mushrooms or blend of mushrooms is beneficial for, for stress management and those adaptogenic benefits? Most of these functional mushrooms are considered adaptogens. Okay. And you know, look, the, the whole definition that we're talking about here is homeostasis. It's balance. And I'm sure you are very knowledgeable about balance and the fact that, look, uh, when we get ill, we've got out of balance and, and somehow that's what's happening. And we've got to bring ourselves back into that uh, homeostasis. And, and that's what mushrooms are known for. And that's why they're considered to be adaptogens. And, you know, that, that to me is just a basic philosophy of health. And a lot of people don't yeah, get yeah. that, but that, that is, um, we're just all of a sudden out of balance. And certainly if we are stressed out, oh my God, that really throws people off, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. So I know you're not, you're not a doctor and I, so you, you've already spoken to health benefits and I don't want to, you know, make you say something you're uncomfortable with, but I want to be the devil's advocate here for, who is not a good fit for mushrooms. So in my industry, you know, some providers say patients who have autoimmune diseases or who have yeast overgrowth or mold toxicity or whatnot need to be cautious with mushrooms. Do you have an opinion on that? No, absolutely. First, let me just start one, two, three here. First of all, molds. Look, the, the issue with molds are the spores. This whole kingdom of fungi is broken down into what we call imperfect fungi and perfect fungi. Imperfect fungi are molds. The the difference between them and the perfect is the perfect will produce a fruiting body, will produce a mushroom. The molds do not. They are simply in the mycelial stage. And what happens in the mycelial stage, they can produce spores. In, in the with the perfect fungi, no, it's the the actual mushroom that's producing the the spores. So if you're living in a house that's damp and you've got walls and you've got it growing on the walls, well, what's happening is that that mycelium's growing on your wall, and at a certain point, it starts to sporulate, and now you're breathing those spores. Mm-hmm. So that's the issue with molds. It has absolutely nothing to do with mushrooms, unless unless you happen to be in a mushroom cultivation house and they're growing a mushroom that they will harvest at maturity, like, like an oyster mushroom. It, it, it doesn't, you know, the button mushroom is, is called a button because it's immature. It does not develop to where the gills are are exposed and it's producing spores. So you can be in there harvesting, you'll never breathe in spores. But if you're in another mushroom house, let's say growing oyster mushrooms, you could be in there and they're maturing and you could be breathing in tons of spores. They actually have a disease out there called mushroom workers lung. And it's from people being in those environments, breathing spores. And, and that that's also true in um, the wild in certain places where there are a lot of certain species growing. And at certain times of years, the spore load will be very heavy, you know, which is not too much different than, than at the time when there's a lot of pollen in the air. And some people are very sensitive to that. So, so that's the whole issue. That's with- the main caveat. But generally speaking, it sounds like you feel like patients who have mold toxicity, that's coming from the spores. So mushrooms absolutely. aren't contraindicated has, in there. Yeah. Absolutely okay. not. And now now getting getting to uh, like candida, man, th- this is something I've heard since the 90s. And, and it's uh, been utilized a lot by naturopaths. And th- that's what they do. They'll check everybody for candida, very, the very first thing. Well, That gets back to kind of what I would call the doctrine of signatures, where kind of like produces like. And it's like, no, I I know uh, classical herbalists that use mushrooms to treat candida. And I've searched and searched. There is absolutely no scientific research that has anything to do with saying or proving that mushrooms uh, are uh, either produce candida or will feed candida. It's just a one of those ideas that's like, oh, you've got a yeast, which is a part of this fungal kingdom, 
you know, if you feed it a mushroom, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, how does that work? It doesn't work. So, so no. And and then in terms of um, like autoimmune autoimmune, uh, disease as well, the the fact is, is that I do have some papers where they're actually uh, utilizing certain mushrooms for auto immune diseases. So that also does not seem to be true. But look, it's really up to the practitioner uh, and and the practitioner needing to look at the research themselves, make up their decisions. I'm not giving medical advice to anybody. You know, I I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't make claims for what we sell. You know, I, I point people to research papers and things like that. I mean, I've read thousands of papers over the last 30 years. And, you know, so many of them are done by researchers and they're so complex a lot of times, but they, they can give you sort of a general view of what's going on. And certain ones are more applicable to what we're doing, like where they're actually talking about methods of analysis for active compounds. And and what we really are uh, all about here is I want to guarantee to the people that purchase our products that what they're getting is genuine. What they're getting is not something that's years old without any active compounds, but we've got tests that actually demonstrate it's got active compounds in there. And getting back to to, a supplement market, we guarantee for beta-glucans. If you're looking for a supplement, that's something that you should be looking for on the label. Don't pay attention to all of the marketing speak uh, on these companies' websites to talk about, oh yeah, our uh, tempeh has got all of these beta-glucans and all these other compounds. It's like, well, show me the test results. They can't. And so that's for me, we don't make claims to our customer. We just say, look, here's the data. Here is the analytical information on our products. It's got what should be there. And that's what's important to me. You know, all, all of the rest of the tests are like... Yeah, yeah. I love that you test your products. And we have other episodes where we talk about testing of the supplements, looking for things like heavy metals and whatnot. So I love that you, you're, you're speaking to that. You've probably heard a lot about fish oil. It's one of the most common supplements available after all. But have you wondered if you should be taking it and why you might want to think about it? The simple answer is yes. If you don't have access to fresh fish several times per week, you can likely benefit from supplementation and may even need to. I test many of my patients' fatty acid levels and have found that the overwhelming majority of my patients are low in omega-3s. Omega-3 fatty acids are essential cornerstones of human nutrition. They are deemed essential because we need them for proper health, much like certain vitamins and minerals, but unfortunately, we can't produce them on our own. As a result, our only option is to consume these fats either through our diet or through supplementation. Omega-3 fatty acids are known to benefit cardiovascular health, support healthy brain function and cognition, and have been proven to maintain a healthy inflammatory response. For all these reasons, achieving the proper balance of omega-3s is an important health strategy, one for which most people require supplementation. Simplified. Fish oil can help improve your cholesterol, glucose, help your memory, reduce pain, even headaches and menstrual cramps. I typically start my patients with 1 to 2 grams or 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams per day of combined eicosapentaenoic acid, which is EPA, and docosahexaenoic acid, which is DHA daily. Our Your Longevity Blueprint Omegas are stabilized in vitamin E oil and rosemary extract is used to ensure maximum purity and freshness. This exclusive fish oil is purified, vacuum distilled, and independently tested to ensure heavy metals, pesticides, and polychlorinated biphenyls, PCBs, are removed to undetectable levels. Plus, our fish oil has the shortest sea-to-shelf time, meaning from fish to bottle or capsule, of only three to six months, as compared to the industry average of 18 to 36 months. Seriously, that means most of the fish oil you buy over-the-counter is old, oxidized, rancid, and not helpful. That fish oil purchased over-the-counter could be three years old already before you ingest it. Yuck. With over 10,000 published studies in the last three decades, EPA and DHA from fish oil are among the most researched natural ingredients available and have a long history of safety and efficacy. Check out more product information on our website, yourlongevityblueprint.com, and use code OMEGA3s for 10% off. Now let's get back to the show. So do you take a mushroom supplement every day? Yes, actually, I just developed a new supplement called Mushroom V2Z. And what it is, is 800 milligrams of our mushroom extract. And then it's got 25 milligrams of 
vitamin D2 from mushrooms, and it's got a 30 milligrams of chelated zinc in it. And it's kind of like my product, you know, so I'm, I'm getting 2000 IUs of D, I'm getting 30 milligrams of zinc, and I'm getting the mushroom extracts. And I just thought, you know, I used to take vitamin D all the time. I used to take zinc all the time because I believe in those supplements. And I thought, well, let's put out our own with the mushroom extract. And then I don't have to take two different supplements. I can just take one. And so that's what I take every day. But what four beta-glucans are we to look for on the label? When you're, is that what you're saying when we're purchasing a mushroom product? With our um, real mushrooms consumer line on the yes. label, we will say not less than 25% beta-glucans or not less than 30% beta-glucans. So we are confirming that, yes, our product does contain beta-glucans and we're guaranteeing that. Okay. So that's what you would look for. And, and look, let me just also say that you know, be careful. <laughs> there is just so much disinformation out there and so much what I call bait and switch on products. There's even some products out there we've tested that make those kind of beta-glucan claims that are not real. But I would say that and the fact of, is it grown? Are the mushrooms grown in the United States? Well, you know what it is. And, and if you don't believe me, just call them up and ask them, are you growing your whatever on grain? Is there any grain in the product? Can you give me, can you send me some pictures of your production facility where all these mushrooms are being grown? We've got a slideshow on our website that I'm taking people on a tour of all of our mushroom farms. It's a 30 minute slideshow to show them where we grow our mushrooms. Yeah, let's let's get into that quickly. Though I've heard, I, I'm glad that you mentioned some. I guess mycelium are grown on grains. Are mushrooms actually grown on like different um, woods and also on like soy holes? I've heard that. Now, first of all, like like the button mushroom, it's grown on a compost. That compost is mostly straw. But our mushrooms, and what's really interesting is that most functional mushrooms are wood decomposers. All of our reishi mushrooms are grown on a wood log. So if someone has an allergy to that wood, is that going to be concerning for them? Well, well no, because, because no, because like, it, it's kind of like saying, well, if somebody has an allergy to uh, what's in the soil and you've got this lettuce growing out of that, does that pick up what's Can, in the soil okay, other okay. than the nutrients? You know what I mean? Yeah. In other words, we're not selling you the substrate, which is what it's growing on, that would be like selling you sawdust or something. And that's the other thing that we grow on is sawdust, but we don't sell you the sawdust. When you pick the mushroom, the sawdust stays behind. It doesn't go with the with the mushroom. So no, we, we grow mostly- Tell us, um, yeah. Tell us all about your growing practices in the mountains and- Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, <laughs> wood logs for reishi, sawdust logs, really cool sawdust logs for almost all the other- mushrooms that we grow are grown on the sawdust log because look sawdust logs right now and and, and people say oh you're 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 cutting down the forests well unfortunately if you go to china if you go to europe they don't have wild forests every forest they have is a plantation <laughs> you know so wood being harvested for anything like that is from a wood lot it's from a plantation it's not something where oh my god there goes the last wild forest no that was gone ages ago you know i remember traveling through europe back in the late 60s and and going wow look at those forests and Oh, huh, that's really weird. All the trees are growing in rows. What's going on? Well, that's what's going on. So wood log for reishi, sawdust log with um, rice bran. So bran as a nutrient in that sawdust log. These, what we call substrates, are first sterilized. Then they're inoculated with the mycelium, which is the seed. So, so live mycelium is our seed. We put that in there. It grows through, it colonizes, and then... The, when the um, temperatures are right, and the beauty of our mushrooms being grown in China is they're grown in 
shade houses. They're not grown in these big warehouses that are climate controlled with all sorts of equipment that's bringing in fresh air and humidity and controlling the temperature and all that. No, it's grown very naturally. So our reishi mushrooms, we're harvesting those the first week in September because they love high heat. So they're growing like crazy during the summer. We harvest them the first week in September. The other mushrooms prefer cooler temperatures. So they're still incubating during the summer and early fall, and they don't actually grow to maturity to where we're going to harvest them like shiitake or maitake until the first week in November when temperatures are cooler. And then lion's mane loves temperatures that are even cooler. So it's not harvested until uh, the end of November, early December. It, so it, it likes 55 to 60 degrees. Shiitake and maitake are 60 to 65. Reishi is 75. So all grown, very natural, deep into the mountains. I mean, some of these farms that we go to, it's literally the end of the road. It's uh, so very far away. And again, people go, well, yeah, but what about all the drift and all that? That's how we basically are running all of these tests on every single batch. If it doesn't meet our specification, it doesn't pass the test. It does not leave China, period. So that, that's something, I mean, we hold ourselves to very high standards and we have all of the data. We give companies certificates of analysis on that. So, you know, when, when, a, when a, especially when a bigger company comes to Namex and wants to buy our raw materials, they have a whole qualification process that we have to go through. I've gotten questionnaires from some of these companies that are 200 questions long. It's unbelievable what we go through to be qualified, especially for the bigger companies. And look, we sell to small companies. We also sell to some of the biggest multinationals in the world. It's, it's crazy. And right now, what's, what's happening, Dr. Gray, is that mushrooms are moving out of the supplement space and now into the food and beverage space. So there are all sorts of companies now that are putting our mushroom extracts into beverages. And you've probably gone to the um, beverage areas of some of the like Whole Foods markets or something like that. And you see all of the really interesting new beverages and how the whole cola drinking is slowly decreasing. Hooray. <laughs> uh, but beverages and then all sorts of different food products uh, they're putting our extracts into. They're even putting our extracts into chocolate, <laughs> which is which is fun. So so at any rate, it's it's a real expanding sort of um, what you can use these mushrooms for and use our extracts for. It's really it's really expanding and and you know it's just like the innovative foods that you've got out there these days. I mean things are really changing. It's a, there's a lot of creativity that's going on. Very exciting. I know you've enlightened our listeners with a lot of fun facts they probably never thought they would learn about mushrooms. <laughs> so tell us about your two main websites. Tell us about Real Mushrooms and, and Namex. Well, Namex, N-A-M-M-E-X.com. That's uh, uh, the wholesale site. That's where we're selling, we're selling to other companies, uh, just bulk powders to other companies. But we have a great section there. We've got a menu for educational. I've got slideshows there that show you how our mushrooms are grown. I've got slideshows to talk about the differences between genuine mushrooms and these myceliated grain products, plus just a ton of other information. So a lot of information there. And realmushrooms.com is where you can get our products that are uh, in a retail package, we don't sell them into stores that would compete with our customers. So we just sell those online. And Real Mushrooms also has a lot of uh, information as well. Very, very deep in educational information. And that's really what we're trying to do is, is educate more people to mushrooms, why you should eat them, why you should uh, supplement them if you like. And look, first thing I would say to people is, Put mushrooms into your diet. It's a very important food. It's the missing link in your diet. Put mushrooms, try shiitake mushrooms. They're delicious. And then if you feel the need, um, then think about supplementation. But eat mushrooms first. That's really important. 
I usually end each interview asking the guests their top longevity tips. So maybe you just answered that. Uh, that, that And they've actually done these uh, studies out in Asia where they've given people these questionnaires about diet and they have found that people eating mushrooms and having mushrooms in their diet actually live longer. There you go. We need to add mushrooms to our diet. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on the show today and sharing your wealth of knowledge on the benefits of that forgotten food. I like how you called mushrooms a forgotten food. So lots of fun facts from this episode. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Dr. Gray, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. I definitely need to incorporate more mushroom use into my practice. As Jeff said, they are loaded with protein, fiber, B vitamins, vitamin D, and support our immune systems and help us adapt to stress. If you'd like to try Jeff's products, use code Dr. Gray for 10% off only at the link posted in the show notes, which is shop.realmushrooms.com forward slash discount forward slash Dr. Gray. And lastly, special thanks to my cousin Jesse for helping me with the script for this episode. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.